Welcome to Everyday Driver, where cars are more than just transportation. They're freedom, a common ground, a way to grow, and can even make life better. We're here to help everyone find a car they love and discover all the ways cars connect us. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is The Car Debate. Happy Tuesday. We are back from our first meetup in what feels like forever. We yeah. were in Austin. We were in Texas. It was great. It was great. It was uh, humid. You were absolutely right. Mm-hmm. I stepped outside at one point, and I thought I'd burst into flames, but I was wrong. Nope. So nope. it was just humid, but apparently it was the cool weather. We got the cool, breezy, we the cool weather. 85, 90 I mean, breezy even, breeze. Even though I was right there with you, it felt oppressively hot. <laughs> I was also like intellectually in the back of my mind going, this is really not that bad. <laughs> I know. And I'm gasping over there, and you're like, suck it up, buttercup. So, yeah, it was uh, awesome, though. Awesome to be with everybody. We had a successful Texas meetup, but before we did Mm -hmm. that, we attended the Rally Ready Driving School, and big thanks to Texas Dave and Rollover Rob and Jordan. Rob and Jordan (laughs) were our instructors for the whole time, uh, and we had a great time with those guys. And that will be for Season 9, beginning July 3rd, 2021. We learn how to drive rally cars in the yes, dirt. Yes. The camera gear just got gritty. The teeth were gritty. Clothes were gritty. Yes. yes. Everything was gritty. But at least we got dry weather mm-hmm. in the midst of all the rain that Texas had been having. And, and we had I'm a thrilled a about that. low-altitude helicopter flyover, courtesy of Michael Muzio, who works for KBB and other places. <laughs> yeah, he just another fellow auto journalist. Happened to be in Texas. Flies, like, I, I mean, like, really low flyover. Yeah, he, he so buzzed they, the tower, for they, sure. They played Apocalypse Now music while while cars were kicking up dust and he flew over paul posted some of that stuff it's nuts it was and that was just randomly in the middle of our lesson which was crazy and then you're right you'd lick your lips and be like oh that was gritty okay that was fortunate son on repeat for about 30 minutes it was helicopter went over you're like this is awesome okay shut that off all right let's move on (laughs) never heard this song yeah so that happened no it was it was great fun it was so counterintuitive to track driving Mm -hmm. which i'd heard going in but something about experiencing it i was just like this this is really warping my brain. It was like day one was like yeah. full of headaches because it was like brain being reprogrammed. Totally. We had but to unlearn really cool. things yeah, just to be great. able to learn new things. But yeah, I love really that fun. that's what that does is give mm-hmm. us new skills and you know expand our knowledge about things that we can translate on camera. So I'm, I'm just thrilled about it. It was very fun. We got so just much footage too. Oh my gosh. Hot and dirty. And so one of the cars that we had was a 2002 Honda Civic SI with mm-hmm. the K20, 175,000 miles. They've done very, very little to. Yes. And it just ran, and we left left Rally Ranch going, I need a 2002 Civic SI. This thing is just bulletproof. Yep. They were awesome. By the way, Rally Ready is also Rally Rescue for dogs, and they they had 17 dogs at one point there, and just all shapes, sizes, just... Mm -hmm friendly dogs yep. that just yep. needed love and it was just so much fun to just have dogs hanging out and we had meals together and you get out of the car and you wander over to the to the ranch house and dogs would just wander up with the slow wag like do you love me and it's like yes i do <laughs> yes of course i do they'd sit on your feet you'd sit down they do that thing that dogs do where they sit on your feet like yeah i'm gonna sit here and you're gonna scratch me now <laughs> and then others you'd scratch on them and they just do the total rollover like all yeah. four points in the air like keep doing that such happy dogs totally. they'd give you the look oh, if yeah. you stop scratching yeah, them like, what? What? Why would happened? you stop? Why would you do this? <laughs> so then our meetup began Friday evening with a massive rainstorm. Man, oh man, yeah. But it was cool for everybody that came out. Thank you guys for coming out. You know who you are. And it was just really nice to share a meal and hang out and start mm-hmm. talking mm-hmm. and, and uh, get you know excited for the Saturday meetup which was food and driving in Austin Hill Country. And big thanks to the Lotus, Lotus Owners Group Texas yeah. and calling out Chris and Juhi Lindley. Thank you both for mm-hmm. your hospitality, for leading the way, for doing all that you did. And, you know, Chris also let Todd and I both drive his 2012 Lotus Avora SGP. Which is awesome. I with the special livery. Either way, it was fantastic. Was it a 14? Okay, good. It was such a fun car. So it was cool to drive that. Also, it just so happened because it was Chris and his wife and the Lotus Group involved. Mm-hmm. It was more Lotuses than I've ever seen at a Cars and Coffee or a Drive, ever. Lotus heavy. It was amazing. It was like six... Elise's in a row. It's like this is I never see this. But the, <laughs> no. but they're like doing a trial run because the the Lotus Owners Group, like 40th anniversary thing, is here log in Salt 40. Lake. Yes, log 40 is here in Salt Lake in September, and apparently this Texas Lotus Group is connecting up with the other because Texas is big. The other part of the Texas Lotus Group and going to sweep up into Colorado and gather up the Colorado Lotus Group and then come in mass to Salt Lake. 
mm. over the course of multiple days. How many low tie are going to be in that lineup? I can't even imagine. And that's just those guys coming. It's going to be nuts. Chris even gave me a Lotus T-shirt. He's trying to push me over the edge, and I will he admit, is, yes. ever since I've driven the Lotus of War 400 when we did that in yeah, Germany, yeah, that's yeah. a car I would own. It was spectacular yeah. and brilliant. I loved it, and it would reminded me of how good that car is to drive. It was a lot of fun. So thank you guys for all the Lotus owners that came out. And if you're wondering, we did have barbecue. Oh, yes, we did. A couple times. <laughs> we ate at Style Switch Barbecue. That was on Lamar Boulevard in Austin. And then during the drive on Saturday, we stopped in Lano, Lano, Texas. Lano, yeah. And ate at Cooper's Pit Barbecue. And it was just meat. It was fantastic. With sauce. It was so fantastically old school. It's like, come over here to Large Pit where we cook meat. Which of large pieces of meat in Large Pit would you like to eat? Awesome. Just total caveman eating, and I was in heaven. Last couple of things here. Huge thanks to Dodge and Stellantis Mm -hmm. for lending us a Charger SRT Hellcat red-eye wide-body for the trip. (laughs) It's so many words. It's got so many words. $88,000, $88,000, and if you're not sure the difference between the regular janky old Hellcat yeah. and this one, it is 797 horsepower, mm-hmm. 707 pound-feet of torque in a wide body. They've got the fender flares, and they make up that yeah. width in the wheels. You notice notice how deep dish those wheels yes. were? yes. 305 section on the rears, 265 section on the front. This thing is Good a grief. monster, and... I think entertained the entire group. Everybody Absolutely. was talking about the Hellcat. People kept wanting rides. It, <laughs> yeah. it was like it was like the moving roller coaster. People kept riding along with us. It was it made it it shocked everyone that rode in it. Yeah, because that's what 800 horsepower in that car does. Yeah, <laughs> and then an, an additional obnoxious supercharger wine. I think. I don't know if they pipe in the supercharger wine. It felt like it, but you know, I know they didn't. I'm kidding. But it was the weirdest thing because you and I, at this point, I think we have legitimately driven every single Hellcat variant, with the possible exception of the Demon. We've driven everything else, correct? Okay, but this is as close to the Demon as the Charger gets. Yeah. So what was interesting is, out of all of the Hellcats, I'm including the the big TRX. (laughs) I'm including the the Jeep Cherokee, Trackhawk, all of them. I have never heard the supercharger scream like this one. This one was yeah. so loud in supercharger that you never heard the exhaust. Yeah. Typically, it's like, oh, I've got supercharger up front, and I've got exhaust burbling behind me. This one was just a howl from the supercharger at all times. It was yowling of zoo animals, just yowling. <laughs> it was unbelievable. You heard it coming, <laughs> and did. it was coming fast, too. Oh, my gosh. So, Yeah. Thank you guys for giving us that and also to Mazda USA for lending us the car on the opposite end of the Mm -hmm. spectrum. It was an MX-5 Miata Grand Touring and thoroughly reminding us again how good that car is and I'm so glad it has the extra power because I got in it. I just loved it again. Yeah, that yeah, is yeah. the car right there. It's loud on the freeway, admittedly. Yeah, you get up to 80 miles an hour, and it has with with, with the top grain. up. I'm talking now. Yeah. You just have, you do have wind noise happening. It is a loud-ish convertible. Granted, I come from a Lotus, so it's all relative. But I also <laughs> right. happened to drive that car one night completely across Austin, which is not a huge perspective. But I was in the car straight forward, straight straight through for like 45 minutes in like end of day traffic, not mm-hmm. like full on traffic, like when it's starting to kind of thin out a little bit. That kind of traffic. Yeah, right. And I just kept thinking, I love this. This is great. Now, I do get that extra half inch of headroom in the soft top versus yeah. the RF, which yeah. I desperately need. There's but that. just the six speed is great. The car is just so easy and friendly and fun. And on our road tour, I had a couple of opportunities. We get to big T-junctions with mm-hmm, a stop sign. Mm-hmm. Turn onto the T-junction, and I got to go to red line in every single gear. Well, maybe not the top gear, but... I. It, Quick, quickness, quickness occurred. Yeah. Chasing cars that were much more powerful. Forget the Hellcat for a minute. Almost everything on the drive was more powerful than the Miata. Oh, so yeah. getting to work your way through the gears, work that gearbox, it was so much fun. And just felt crisp. Yeah, it's And great. with that little bit of extra power, that 26 extra horsepower, I'm not saying it needs gobs, but it does need that. And it just it really felt so crisp and fun and interesting. And, of course, we were at sea level, too. We're True, used to driving cars yes, right. at right. altitude. Mm-hmm. We're at 6,400 feet up here in Utah in Park mm-hmm. City. But, yeah, it was just – it made power. And mm-hmm. I think uh, – Ted was mentioning he had an an RF Mm -hmm. and he was hanging with the Elises and one of the Elise guys said, now what, what kind of power is that Miata made? What, what do you got in there? He's (laughs) like, it's stock. What? We're at sea level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was hanging with the Elise crowd. Which is great. It's exactly what you want. It was very cool. It also is that engine besides the power mount. The power mount doesn't tell the story because the thing is the engine has a different personality than it did in the early Indies. It really does. It just yeah. it revs so easy. Everything in that car feels light now and just ready to go. And I am so aware anytime I drive it, and it was 
obvious to me this entire past weekend that you could put the newest first time driver in it and they would do great. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. could take somebody who all they want to do is go to the track and they would hunt people down. It was amazing. You could just feel the spectrum of availability in that car. Yeah. Just huge thanks again to Dodge and Mazda just for providing the, the spectrum there. And it was fun to share that with the crowd and put these cars in front of people. And if you'd never seen a Hellcat, which many people had never really experienced the Hellcat Red yeah. Eye before. We solved that. We did check that box. <laughs> We've got some Father's Day gift ideas. Yes, we do. Every every year we get emails that is, hey, guys, Father's Day is coming up. You can get my book, Paper Father. Give that to your father and actually start a conversation. I think that would be really cool. I think it would be an interesting conversation. If, if the dad in your life is a reader, mm. Paper Father is available on Amazon. You can go to our store and get there very quickly. While you're there, you can buy movies. Mm-hmm. They're available for yes. streaming on Vimeo. They're available for streaming on Amazon. But if you want to actually hand dad something, you can hand him a Blu-ray of all of our feature films. Except, I should say, American Original is currently out of print because I am going to update it with C8 stuff. So that isn't available right now, but the yeah. rest of them are on Blu-ray. I'm telling you right now, if you have a 4K TV, you watch it on Blu-ray, you will be very happy. When your car needs new brakes, and it will, it's a great time to upgrade for better stopping power. We're excited to partner with PowerStop Brakes for an easy way to get more performance for something you already need. PowerStop is on a mission to deliver better brakes on every vehicle in every situation, from daily commuting to towing to track days. These are bolt-on, direct-fit parts for better braking with no modifications required. Every PowerStop Complete Brake Kit comes with all the parts you need to upgrade your brakes. That includes the pads, rotors, and even those little clips and fasteners. Plus, all their pads are made from a carbon fiber ceramic compound, which they've tested extensively to deliver low dust and noise-free performance. So the next time you need new brakes or simply want to upgrade, visit PowerStop.com and enter your vehicle's information into their easy-to-use car finder. Todd and I even found great kits for our SUVs and cheap sports cars. Give your everyday driver the easy and affordable performance upgrade it deserves at PowerStop.com. We've got a Topic Tuesday from Colin C., who writes to us about improving your car senses, and he's been Mm. writing to us for a long time, and we need to address this. We've also got a good car debate from Jonathan W. up in New England asking if he should set himself on the path to early financial ruin. (laughs) We're here to help you do that. (laughs) He he wrote actually three times on the same day he submitted his initial email, and then two weeks later submitted another one just as he had listened through, and his questions got answered, but it generated more. And so, Mm -hmm. Jonathan, thank you for pursuing keeping after it. But starting in on the topic Tuesday, Colin C. writes to us, and he says that we discuss how cars feel, with regard to the driving experience. Mm. But we don't explain how to feel the car you're driving. Colin owns an NA Miata, and it's super analog, he said. A month ago, he rented a 2015 Boxster, Mm. and he struggled to quantify the different feelings between the two cars. He says maybe the reason why he couldn't pinpoint the difference was because he didn't drive the cars back-to-back. And he is on the Discord channel as a patron. He asked the channel how he can improve his car senses. He's asking the audience that Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. keeping the debate going, He said it started an interesting discussion. The general consensus was that he needed to drive a lot of different cars to first of all feel the differences between them. Mm -hmm. But how does he attune his car senses? He wants to notice differences between cars. Can you improve your car senses while only driving one car? Or do we need to drive a lot of cars right in a row to better feel the difference? Mm. And then finally, how does he feel the difference of steering feel? Mm, Interesting. Wow, there's a lot going on here. Yeah, there really is. And I like that you've been asking, Colin, and really appreciate you keeping after it. And it it is something that uh, I want to unpack a little bit. I, uh, I will say that over the years... Of all the cars Todd and I have driven, and this last Texas meetup was a great example. We've got two diametrically opposed cars. Yes, yes, yes. They're fun for different reasons. Mm-hmm. But, of course, you could instantly tell as soon as you drove them. You could instantly tell the architecture and the power and the platform. It's pretty obvious with the cars we had, a Miata and a Hellcat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Hellcat's more than, more than twice as heavy as the Miata. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't like great? It's certainly four time, more it's than four times doubled. the power. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> it's scary to think about. Anyway, so over the years, Todd and I have driven many, many cars. And as we've gotten into driving more and we've experienced different tires, different track days, mm-hmm, different mm-hmm. you know conditions, all that kind of stuff, it's really that experience, that long experience has really made us be able to carve out what we're feeling 
you know, over another thing, another element mm-hmm. or characteristic of the car. Sure. And so we can more easily identify, and, and really it just comes down to driving it. So I didn't have that when I was, mm-hmm. you know, early driving career. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't driven very many cars. And it was just, I hadn't driven platforms, hadn't discovered mid-engine cars, hadn't driven 911s, I hadn't driven that kind of stuff, and really started to feel the difference. And we always question, there's articles that are written by magazines the world over. Yeah. And they review a car and they say, well, this is different than the insert other competitive car here. Sure, sure. And yet it's not in the comparison. Or we know that they haven't driven that car for six months. Yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah, and we think, yeah. where's that car? And that thinking has driven our TV comparison headspace. Yep. It's hard yep. to get these cars locked down together on the schedule from manufacturers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they're right there so we can jump in from one to the next but that's what we've wanted it's a hard fight to get those cars yeah, but when yeah. we do boy is it revelatory i'll mm-hmm. give you an example and that is the recent uh, recently on youtube but it was the new supra the 718 cayman s mm-hmm. and bmw m2 competition we did something with those cars that we'd never done with any other review. We took Chance along with us, so with three cars, three drivers, mm-hmm. and we would drive for five to seven minutes or so on a pre-planned route mm-hmm. and only think and concentrate on one element, yep, one characteristic. Yep. And I think, you know, we had driven them, of course, we'd driven all the cars prior, you know, over mm-hmm. for various comparisons and over time. Mm-hmm. And it was revelatory. Now, we're doing this well into our careers at Everyday Driver and, yeah, you know, yeah driving a lot of things, you know, but still that really was so revealing. And you're right, Colin, back to back, it was magnified completely. So we'd concentrate on just inputs, just steering inputs, that first initial steering input. And then what does the car do through the corner? Mm -hmm. But then the next thing you'd, you would focus on the balance of the car through the corner. Those are two different things. That initial Mm, steering, that steering feel, and how does it, you know, how precise is it? How trackable is it? But then what does the weight shift do? And of course, Mm -hmm. by virtue of the different engine placements, that's revealing. Mm -hmm. And then we'd focus on, I think, tires and then brakes. And then we did the engine power. power. We we were going to have fewer corners. We were just, okay, worry about how does this thing deliver power? And we just jumped from car to car to car, just thinking in that terms, because when you and I go out, we'll go out for 30 minutes in a car. We'll talk about everything. Mm -hmm. And then we'll hop Mm -hmm. in the next one, talk about everything. And that, because we've been driving them back to back to your point, the whole time we've been doing the shoot over two or three days, we've already kind of solidified in our brains kind of how they differ, and now we're putting it on camera. But you're right, in this case, we wanted to split them so closely, and we knew mm-hmm. they were so close, that we really just focused ourselves for, like, like you said, five to seven minutes at a time on just a feature, getting all three cars, think about steering feel. Mm-hmm. Nothing else. Don't don't even. I, I realize you just left really fast. Forget that. I had to like train myself, like take off real fast, be like, I want to talk about No. Yeah. We're not talking about power. It's hard I need to, to do. find this corner. And just, yeah. But that allowed us to, to dial in even further because it is that back-to-back thing. that I Honestly, as long as we've been doing this, if it's been a six months since I drove a car, I kind of remember how the competitor felt. Mm-hmm. I remember what I said about it. Do I think this version's better? I can say it and I will say it. But at the same time, I just go, I really wish I had it here. It's based on a recollection. It's yeah. based on yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes we'll watch our own film and, you know, okay, okay, that's what I said. All right, I'm starting to remember that kind of feeling. All right. Yeah. And then come to the new car. And so you're driving it through the same corners. You know how that Miata drives. You know that how, how light it is mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. what it does in corners and how it can be upset or not upset through a particular corner. So when you're driving the next thing, first of all, take the same route. That's so key. It's so key if you yeah. can. Yeah. And then... You know, start to really decide what it is you like about that. And like I said, it was difficult because you get in and well, that Cayman's a different noise and you want to talk about that. No, 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 no. Focus. It's just the <laughs> how it makes the power. Sure. It's not how many cylinders. It's not the noise it makes. It's just the power itself. Mm-hmm. And really try to isolate in your mind what that feels like. We're slicing it very thinly. Completely. And everybody's preference is different. Some people might not want mid-engine cars, but I come across... Videos will say of other journalists Mm -hmm. and they'll take the exact same corner in a different platform, a different type of architecture and says, well, this car understeers like crazy. Well, you, you did the same driving technique in a car that is designed for a different driving technique. Interesting point. Yeah, sure. And you did the same corner and you try to do that same technique and 
didn't work out for you. Yeah. And so you didn't like it. The Corvette C8 is a great example, how everybody mm. accuses it of such heavy or catastrophic understeer. Sure. Yeah, that's been out there. Yeah. All of our mid-engine cars, Elise, Alpha 4C, Cayman, we can get them to understeer dramatically. Yes, you can. You and then drive them like mid-engines. Yeah. Yes. And then, point. Yeah. and then you'll say, well, this car sucks. I, I don't like this. Well, no, your, your driving style, your techniques need to be different mm. when you come into that corner. Mm. Just like you're taught in a 911, when you're coming in hot into a corner, you can brake far later than everybody else because the engine, the weight of the engine will keep the back end of the car on the ground. Mm-hmm. That's its party trick. Yeah. And then you can get on the power like crazy and just ride the engine out. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yes. But it has its other, you know, qualities. Don't I will do it say. wrong. Don't do it wrong. <laughs> if you yeah. do it wrong, it's very different than a front engine car. Yeah. So all that to say is that kind of really isolating it, isolating a car and, mm-hmm. and focusing on what this thing is you're after. If it's just steering, fine. But slice it from steering inputs and weight shift. Those are two different things mm-hmm. in in the driving experience. So I know it's difficult. It's not always easy to put those cars together. It's very That's hard. why we do it for TV comparisons mm-hmm. so we can genuinely say, I just got out of that car, Yep. did my 30-minute review, got into the next one, mm-hmm. and the light bulb went on. Absolutely. You know what I mean? It's very obvious that, that back and forth. Look, I'll, I'll equate it to something we just did in Texas, okay? Okay. In Texas, it's hot outside. Yep. It's humid outside. Yep. Meanwhile, all the air conditioners are set to roughly meat locker setting, okay? <laughs> So it just screwed with me so, so much. But here's the thing. If you're outside for 10 minutes, you've adapted to the fact that this is how hot I am and I'm sweating a little bit and it's humid out here. Mm-hmm. And you know mm-hmm. it's colder inside. Yeah. When you step inside, you're like, whoa. <laughs> and give yourself 10 minutes in there and you're like, it feels great in here. I feel normal. It feels okay. And you step outside, you just think, what happened to the <laughs> oven out here? It's that back-to-back thing that makes it yes. so extreme because you've yes. adapted in the middle. Colin, I'm going to say something that, that builds on something Paul said earlier. This is where drives with friends can be so great. That's excellent. Can you go out on the same road with two or three friends, and you all have slightly different cars, friends you are close enough to that you can jump in each person's car? Mm. And especially if it's a road. We have two three roads around here that we love that we know. And we can take any sports car up those roads because we've driven them in our own cars so much and on other yeah. reviews so much. And because that road is the same, that litmus test allows us to go, oh, I know for sure how this feels different than something from six months ago because I remember that car did this in the corner. Right. In the same corner, this car does X because the road is the great crucible that we go, I know how this road should feel. If you go out with your buddies and let's say one of them has a large sedan and you have your Miata and somebody has a sports car. All three of you just keep swapping. Go up and down that road a couple times and keep swapping. Mm -hmm. You may not have the vocabulary to feel like you're expressing it clearly, which it sounds like that was your struggle when you got in this Boxster. You you, You were aware it was different, but you weren't sure how to describe it. That's fine. But I think you will know instantly, oh, the Miata does this. That car does that. We've had a couple people write us that so love their history of driving hatchbacks that when they drive something that's not a front-wheel drive hatchback, it feels wrong to them. <laughs> We've had people write yeah. us like that. And here uh. we are going, you should experience rear-wheel drive. But if, if you've gotten to the place where you're so comfortable driving a certain kind of platform, everything else will feel foreign. You know, I brought this up to you before, and that is regarding my friend Damon Shell. And shout out to Damon. He is a designer, senior designer at Acura and Honda. And he confirmed my worst fears for designers everywhere. I can't say this. I will say it as a broad generality. It's different from car company to car company. Sure. But that is designers don't get to drive that many cars. Mm -hmm. Some do. Depends on the company. Sure. Yeah, yeah. But not every designer gets to drive everything in that market segment that they are designing for. Yeah. Same thing with the engineering team. Engineers more so than designers. But I think the design team should have access to everything. And so what do designers do? They consume all the same automotive media that everyone else is. Mm, mm. And they go on the same drives that everyone else is. The Saturday morning cars and coffee and then a drive up the canyon. And, you know, we're swapping cars, like you said, with friends trying to get into different cars. Absolutely. Feel that. And Damon owns a mid-engine 914. And he owns an 85 Audi Quattro. And he vastly different driving experience. Yeah, so he's got yeah. that under his, you know, under his belt. But you know he's trying to go. All right, I need to drive various things over here. You know whatever that is. And mm-hmm. so I, I, I almost feel like this obligation to designers everywhere to somehow provide cars just so people can 
the design teams can drive different cars and feel that mm. because I, I guarantee you that driving, you get out of that Supra, you get out of that M2, whatever that mm. is, you think, well, that was different. Why was that different? Mm-hmm. The proportions suggested blank. The proportions of that car suggested blank driving experience. Okay. That's not what we're going after. Mm-hmm. We're going after something different here. We're trying to convey a different image, a different feeling from a minivan to a pickup truck to a sports car. Yeah. We're trying yeah, to yeah. do blank with the market and the, the, you know, the design brief that we're going after. Sure. I'll bet you it would change if designers worldwide had access to everybody else's stuff. Yeah. If I mean, they already do. They're already looking at but, each other's styling. But you're right. And, if the designers and engineers were driving everything that that car was in a market against, think about how much that would raise the quality of everything being made. I'm wondering. I'm, I think I'm it completely would. completely speculating. Would. From a driving dynamics perspective, I think it definitely would. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, look, I'll put it to you in another perspective. We have been driving of late electric SUVs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that they all went out and drove Tesla product. <laughs> That's you for can sure. tell that they did. Yes. Because you get on a Tesla product and you get in those and you go, oh, I see the through lines. <laughs> you were over here copying off paper, weren't you? Right. You know, which doesn't happen as much because electrics are, you know, the big tip of the spear. We're, we're advancing into this. This is new ground for us. And Tesla's doing it well. And they're getting all the press. And so people are really paying attention and making sure they drive those. But for your random hatchback. Mm-hmm. Did you drive everything else everybody made? Because right. probably not. And that's in the industry that's making more. So I love, Colin, that you want to understand how to do this, and you need to just go drive as many friends things as you can. I just, every time we get a chance to do that, I love it. We did it last year, last fall. We had two or three friends in the area, and we were all cooped up, and we went, let's go on a big drive. We went driving <laughs> for like four hours. Yeah. And the whole point was, every time we stopped, everybody swapped. Yep, yep. I, it's tough because everyone who doesn't get access to those cars, Colin, is constantly looking at films and movies mm-hmm. and YouTube reviews to gain an understanding of, I'm interested in that car and that reviewer liked it or didn't. Mm-hmm. And we do this specifically so our reviews and our, our comments come off as valid. It's hard to to do this, but... Yeah. Of course, we like doing it, but it's more about you know trying to an- continually answer the question that you're asking, and then that's why we encourage you to yes, yeah, swap cars, go drive those cars, and that's really the best way to do it. It's it's hard to imagine. Yeah, I think I know how that super drives, and I will tell you, no, you don't, no, you don't. <laughs> We're proud to have Covercraft as a TV and podcast sponsor. Covercraft not only makes the best custom fit car covers, but also has all the products you need to get ready for car show and travel season. Products like seat covers, dash covers, sunscreens, and more. They're all custom-tailored for your vehicles and made with a quality and attention to detail that's been standard for Covercraft since 1965. All of our cars are an expensive investment, from personal fun cars to SUVs to cheap sports cars like our crazy ones right now. Covercraft is focused on protecting the car, SUV, truck, or boat that you love. Whatever cover or sunscreen you choose, remember to use the code EVERYDAY21 at checkout to receive a 10% discount and free shipping from Covercraft.com. Follow the link from our sponsors page at everydaydriver.com for high-quality covers that keep your vehicles protected and looking their best. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. Jonathan W. in New England wrote to us like he was having a conversation. He wrote an email. (laughs) That's good. And then he thought of more later, and he wrote another email. And then he thought of more later, and he wrote another email. So we put him in a little group, and then a couple of weeks went by, and he wrote another email. I said, by the way, since we last spoke, which we hadn't talked back, but it's cool that Jonathan thought so. Since we last spoke, he listened to a lot of podcasts as if we were talking back, and that changed his discussion from before, and he wrote another email. You're absolutely right, Jonathan. Thank you for writing. The gist of his email is asking if he should su- subject himself to early financial ruin. Here is his debate. He is 21 years old. He's in New England looking for a sports car. Okay. He currently drives a Beater Daily 2006 Lexus IS250 all-wheel drive. Which is fine, I'm sure. It's perfectly fine. (laughs) He's probably going to keep the Lexus as a Daily if he were to add this second car. After a long search, he became quite set on a 987.2 or 981 Cayman with a PDK, preferably with Sports Chrono. Okay. Here's why. They're not owned by everyone, and he clears his throat and says BMW M4. Mm-hmm. It's a mid-engine coupe with relatively good storage. Which you're, is rare. You're right. The driving experience as detailed by everyone who drives these cars, and it's at the end of its depreciation curve. Yeah, 
Yeah, maybe, maybe. Well, but it's it's certainly it's certainly gotten to a place where it's kind of bottoming out. It's kind, so, kind uh, of. So yeah, you're in a place sure. where where you're buying, it's not like two years from now it will have dropped a ton. It's going to drop a little, but not. It's not going to plant right. anymore. Right. Well, his criteria is this. He wants a unique sports car that drives amazingly well, will hold its value. And he's considered many cars like TTSs and Z4s, M3s and 4s, older 911s, F-types. Here's his budget. twenty-five dollars to $35,000 for the absolute right car. Okay. But are there any other cars that he should give consideration to? Would we recommend an S over a base? This is the initial email. Okay. <laughs> this is where he started. And then he went, oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't want to financially ruin himself. Mm-hmm. He wants to be reasonable. Or sh- so sh- should he? Should he not? Mm. He thinks for a while and writes again. He says, I thought it'd be better if I provided more information. He wants his car to be a driver's car, an experience, and an event to drive every time. Okay. Something he could just Love get at any time of day. Agreed. And just have a blast or go on a road trip. He wants a car he can bring to everyday driver meetups that are across the country. Okay, great. We'd love to see you. It'd be great. He says, this search, this non-depreciating mid-engine search, not to mention the brand, checks all his boxes. He's watched every single Cayman review he could find. Wow. But he's, and even though considering the 911, he was put off by the higher prices, only one franc. Mm-hmm. He's just not there yet. So. He's concerned with this purchase, ruining him financially at his age. He currently has no job. He's in his last semester of university, little to no debt, but he's torn between the one side of him who wants to be financially responsible and frugal with money and continue to build wealth, of course, Mm -hmm. and that emotional side that absolutely craves driving good fast cars on some of the best roads. (laughs) Welcome to the audience. Absolutely. This this is the disease pretty much (laughs) described. Absolutely. Email number three says, I want to add... Because apparently every automotive journalist just raves about Porsches, and so he needs to own one himself. They do, and I kind of rage against that. I know you do. there are other good brands, too. Anyway, yes, he says, he says he thinks it was Chris Harris that said, you own German cars because they just work, and it feels like the engineers thought about everything. Which is true. Which is true. True. Mostly true. But he's, he feels like he's at that point where he must experience that. <laughs> He eventually wants to experience a visceral, raw emotion of Italian supercars and maybe obnoxious American power and iconic British sports cars. But for now, he just wants to see what all the hype is about. Sure, I see that. I see that. And then what's funny is when he sends his last email, it's because he just heard us having a conversation about essentially, and we've joked with this before, if you write us saying, I would like to get this specific car, it's rare for us to say, no, don't get that. We're probably going to say, look, if you're that far down the road to loving that thing, go get one because it's always going to be that forbidden fruit if you don't. And you're probably going to want to circle back around and try that anyway. So it's hard for us to completely talk somebody out of a car that they've already decided this is the one for me. (laughs) So he just heard us say that. And he's like, so now I realize that you're probably going just get the Cayman. And Jonathan, (laughs) I'm going to say just get the Cayman, but I'm going to unpack it further. Okay, good. Well, Jonathan eventually wants to hit the next level up, mm-hmm. don't we all? Supercar territory, he says. He wants to own an R35 GTR, an Audi R8, Ferrari 458, an Aventador, etc., etc. He says he can afford the payments, but the maintenance he's not sure about. Maybe if he waits a little longer, he can financially secure himself even more. He lets us in on a little bit more details here. Asking what would we do? Should we buy a cheaper 981 Cayman or a nice 987.2 or wait a little longer so he can skip this level of ownership Mm. and jump into exotic car territory? This is where I have thoughts. He has 80 to $100,000 in savings and investments, little to no debt, but no income yet Mm -hmm. and is still job searching as he is a recent grad. All he really wants is a car that he would want to drive everywhere and eventually meet us at a meetup. We would love that regardless of the car. you. If Absolutely. you turn to the meetup, Jonathan, we'll put you in whatever car we have and we'll take you for a ride. Uh, guarantee uh, it. That, that happened on this last meetup. Plus, we had people yeah. that were flying in and actually renting cars and yeah. bringing those to the meetup. So there's a million ways to do this. We'd love to have you with us for sure. I say unpack away. Do it. Well, I, Jonathan, you, you've, you're way down the road to getting a Cayman. So I'm going to say... Great. There's 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 nothing wrong with it. I am going to say this to you. I think you should get the 987.2. I think you should get the late first-gen Cayman okay. because it still had hydraulic steering mm-hmm. and had a superb six-speed gearbox. Agreed. I know you're looking at PDK, but I'm just going to kind of encourage you to go that route because what happens is after that generation, the 911s get bigger 
and the mm-hmm. Caymans get bigger, mm-hmm. and they both lose hydraulic steering. Now, I am not saying that if you get PDK and electronic steering, it won't be any fun. I'm not saying that. But I think if you're going to look at what Porsche's done, there's a really good touchstone of the late 987s, the late first-gen Caymans. It's a great touchstone for where does the brand go next, and mm-hmm. you'll be able to feel. I know this sounds weird. If you were to buy a classic 911, or a brand new 992, you would be able to have kind of a midpoint in that 987 Cayman mm. that I think gives you reference if you were to drive somebody else's in these other range. I think that is a really interesting place to put a stake in the ground and go, I've experienced this, now where am I going? Okay. So that's my preference for you in Caymans. Also, you're spending like 20 grand. Right. 25, right. A, a spectacular one that's probably overpriced, is 30. Okay? So I, you're not blowing your budget out. And I think you can experience something and get a sense of who you are. I also am wondering, you've graduated. It sounds like you've done very well financially so far as far as organization is concerned and being cautious. Sure. This is a caution to the wind moment. And we're going to say, yeah, just jump. It'll be great. But I am going to ask you this question. What is your financial or more, more importantly, employment prospects look like? Are you stepping into a potential job world where you feel pretty confident you're going to have a job? Or is it the kind of thing where everybody I know with my degree, you don't tell us, is going to be six months to a year before you're employed? Mm -hmm. Depending Mm -hmm. upon your answer, let's be cautious. If you feel pretty confident about your job prospects and you want to make this leap immediately, okay. If it's, I'm really not sure, take a breath. Hmm. Figure out, at least get somewhere into, oh, I have a job and it's going to start in two months. Go buy a fun car. You've got the money. You can do it. It's not a big deal. Sure. Okay. Sure. If it's, I just don't know. I might end up living with my parents. I might not, I might end up working at Starbucks. It's just going to be fun. I want to caution you there. Okay. So be careful there. But here's the big thing I want to say to you. You need to get something to experience right now to give you a reference point. Okay. And that could be an 86. It could be a Miata. It could be a Fiesta ST or a Mini Cooper or any of the things we talk about that are fun. Because what you don't have right now is that a car is fun first. Mm. And I think you need mm. a car that's fun first because here's the flip side. You want to get the next level. Mm-hmm. You want to do the GTRs and the R8s and the 458s and the Aventadors and that kind of thing. And let's just say, for sake of argument, Jonathan, that you're going to have that financial means sooner rather than later. I'll let you in on a crazy secret. Like lean in like it's a secret. <laughs> okay. More expensive cars aren't always better. Absolutely. The most expensive, amazing thing you saw at Cars and Coffee, honestly, the Miata sitting next to it might be more fun. Absolutely. And we all yeah. and we all do this. We all do it. We get the poster car. Yep. The Lamborghini Countach. Is it fun to drive? I will say as somebody who's driven one, yes. Do I think of it as the greatest driving experience I've ever had? No. <laughs> Agreed. And we all had Agreed. it on our wall as kids. It was yeah. like, the Countach is the thing. <laughs> I loved the 959, which was not really my thing. It was your thing, Paul. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I loved the 959 in concept, and I drove one, and it stayed exactly there. Hmm. It's very impressive. I've had the experience. Now I'll move on. But it was a 959. You would think I would just, why wouldn't I have the, but sure. I have to have the thing with the, sure. no, I want to be over here. So, I don't want you to go into this conversation, whatever you're buying now, whatever you might buy later, thinking, if I go upmarket, I've done better. Because you might get upmarket and decide, I was better over here with the cheaper. That's fantastic advice. And a couple of things for you, Jonathan. Many things, actually. <laughs> First of all, get a job. There's just a get a job before you do anything else. Just get a job. Get a job. Get a job. Get a job. This week on Everyday Driver, get a job. Just go get yes, that you're job. right. It's terrifying if you don't have one and don't. you just start spraying money at the oh. car problem. That is terrifying. Don't do a thing until you get that job because you won't know. Your budget might change. You just don't know. I want you to have a job. I want you to have started the job so you know you like it. That first 90 day period where they're still mm. checking you out and you're checking them out. Wait for that too. Well, and he might have he might have one of those prospects for jobs, and we know people that maybe, are like this, maybe. where he's just you're gonna get hired, we which is great, wonderful. But I still think, I to your point, I still think it's like yeah, the job here. You can see the date where the job is happening. Yes, yes. <laughs> the second point is you've categorized driving experiences by dollar value, mm-hmm. by levels. To Todd's mm-hmm. point. You're starting out at the entry level, but the next level up is going to be a better driving experience. I don't want to own a Nissan GTR. It's worse than a Cayman. 
Yes. It doesn't drive nearly as well, and the GTR will smash a Cayman into the ground in every conceivable performance metric. My Lotus will get decimated on the straights and in corners by any GTR you bring. Yeah. And I will pick the Lotus every single time. It didn't get better the more money you spent. It's like you saw YouTubers. When that Super came out, when the C8 Corvette came out, and they're off in Aventador land, mm-hmm. and whoops, record scratch, what? They bought a Supra? Yeah. You're going backwards. Yeah, yeah. The levels aren't. The levels don't correspond. Wait, hang on. Why'd you buy a Supra? It's actually pretty good to drive. That C8 is pretty good to drive. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter that it costs very little in comparison to your... And it got views for six months, and then they sold it. Oh, sorry. Did I say that out loud? That happened. Yeah. But still, I want you to leave space in your mind for cars now, but any future car, and disconnect dollar value from fun. Mm-hmm. Disconnect mm-hmm. dollar value from how much you spent and position of that car in the marketplace in people's minds. Mm. Because what if you like some cheap, janky old sports car and you just love it? That's okay. We have actually we gotten, encourage that. Totally. We've gotten emails from people that have said to us, not like a lot, but I've gotten a couple that I've read that I thought were fascinating. People that have owned a string of 911s, and for whatever reason, generally it's because they started going to the track more, they bought a Miata, mm-hmm. and now they just drive the Miata. <laughs> yeah. Now think about that. That, yeah. that is not the way the internet works. <laughs> right. Okay? Why right. on earth would you do that? But we've actually gotten that email more than once, which is crazy. And I'm not saying I'm not saying that 911's bad. I'm not saying the Miata rules all, but I'm saying it was interesting to watch that progression of a couple of these people who are like, I had this 911, I had this 911, and I went over here in Porsche for a bit and I came back to 911s and for whatever reason I bought a Miata and you know what? The Miata's great. Mm-hmm. Which totally. is not supposed to happen. Totally. You've got to decouple those things because I want you to give yourself permission in your life to buy expensive cars and also buy cheap cars that might be more fun. <gasps> I know, horrors. What happened there? That's not that's not the way the internet works, buddy. I'm telling you. It's cheaper and better. Mm-hmm. How what? We all want those supercars. And then finally, Jonathan, a listener of ours is Derek. Mm-hmm. A few years ago, he bought a Porsche Panamera Turbo for $40,000. Check the box. Done. Yes. Yes. Family car, power, Porsche. Mm -hmm. Well, he had a lot of problems with it. (laughs) Understatement of the podcast. He had a lot of problems with it is the nicest possible way to put that. Now, I'm sorry I'm laughing, Derek. I'm sorry I'm laughing. But (laughs) yes. Without going into too much detail, the, the engine failed. And this was the first generation Porsche Panamera Turbo. And that shouldn't happen. It's a high-quality German-engineered sports, mm-hmm. uh, you know, performance car. Yes. That shouldn't have happened. To the point where the Porsche engineers, or Porsche in general, said it should have happened earlier if it was going to happen, this particular problem. Mm-hmm. What? You're admitting that, A, it happens, and it should have happened even sooner? Yeah. The car yeah, didn't yeah. have very many miles on it, and he ended up driving it for 1,500 miles and had a loaner Cayenne longer than he owned this car. Yeah, yeah. It needed an entire engine replacement. Mm-hmm. Now, Porsche did throw $10,000 at him as part of the deal, but it still cost him thirty grand for that engine replacement. <sighs> Had to be done by a Porsche dealer, and then he got rid of it. And so he is completely soured on Porsches. They have the IMS issue, pro- issue mm-hmm. and oh, yeah, yeah. that's a problem. That sucks. Yes, and, and it is a real thing. I told so. We saw him over the, the uh, Texas meetup, and I said, Let's look at every other sports car. I get it. I understand why you're soured on Porsche. Mm-hmm. They're not the best thing ever. Ooh, wait I, a minute. I love them dearly. <laughs> Paul just said that out loud know, on the podcast. I know. <laughs> but I, I had IMS worry when I owned my first Cayman. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, nothing happened. I drove it. I drove it hard. Yeah. I drove it for what it's intended. And if you don't, you'll you'll never know. You'll never think, well, I, I used it for what it was for, for mm-hmm. specifically for mm-hmm. what it was designed for. So let's look at every other car for you, Derek, that isn't a Porsche. Every mm-hmm. other sports car that comes out, you know, whatever you need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not a Porsche brand. Okay. I, I totally understand why you're soured mm-hmm. on the brand. That's, that's a bummer. Mm-hmm. There's many, many reasons why I do love Porsche. And I kid that they're the best thing ever, but I love a lot of cars too. Mm-hmm. That C8 Corvette is really dang good. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it Super is. Super's really fun. It's came in wheelbase, but you know, we'll stop there. <laughs> it happened so, again. <laughs> so, Jonathan, hopefully you're 
starting to sense that I don't want you to just categorize your driving experience, that the more you spend, the better your driving experience and the better mm-hmm. the car got. Yeah, maybe it's more power, maybe more luxury, newer tech. Is it better? Back to our meetup we just had. You and I traded off all day. We drove the Hellcat wide body, every other word possible, red eye, <laughs> and we drove the Miata. Yeah. At the end of the day, which one's better? <laughs> right. Exactly. I, I got it. You can't see it. I've got a huge question mark over my head right now. Yeah. Because I don't know. Based on what? Give me, give me a, a, what are we trying to define? Because I had fun in both cars. Now, if I unpack it further, you've all listened to me enough to know I own a Lotus Elise and I like small, light cars. So guess what? I end up leaning toward Miata because that's what I prefer. Sure. But if you get a muscle car guy in here that likes muscle cars and mm-hmm. thinks little tiny cars are death traps, mm-hmm. They're going to pick the Hellcat, and I'm going to applaud them. Absolutely. So better is better is a slippery slope. Ultimately, Jonathan, I am agreeing with Todd. I will say get the Cayman only because of the price point you're at. Because I could say for $25,000, no, 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 back it off to something less power and more sensible like a 86 or a Hyundai Veloster N or a Civic Si. All of which you would enjoy. Golf GTI or a, all of those cars. But since you're in that price bracket, yeah, get it. And mm-hmm. I love that you can. I couldn't at that age. No, definitely Get the car, not. enjoy it, but start understanding why you have it at that point and then mm-hmm. enjoy it. And then really ask yourself serious questions. Is my next car, did, what if I just got another Cayman? Like the next portion that I want is another Cayman. Mm-hmm. I, I want a 911 in my life, but I want another Cayman. They're just dynamically brilliant. Or what if this second Gen 86 comes out and we all laud it like we think we will? Yeah. What if he jumps 987 Cayman to new 86? You've got to give yourself that permission, there, Jonathan. There, there'd be a pers- part of the market that'd be like, you went from a Porsche to a Toyota? <laughs> what are you thinking? But, but what Rain if fart there or what happened? What if it's great? Right. Or what if he yes. says, you know what? I, 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 can't, I can't drive the Cayman all the time because I'm precious with us. But if I had a Miata, I'd drive it every day. Yeah. And you got the Miata. Yeah. What? No, hang on. Horrors hang on. upon horrors. You went horrors. from a Porsche came, You bought a Miata. You're not, you're not doing the progression what right, man. What are you man? doing, man? But, but sometimes this is the right call. Instead of levels, make it a bubble chart. As far as your car ownership, right? Bubble chart. That's <laughs> what everyday driver was missing, is more bubble charts. I draw a line from there to there to there. That, that doesn't make sense. Uh, it doesn't even make a shape. Whatever. There are many great questions that I have to start here with, I think, my new favorite avatar. Damn! <laughs> that's a really good one. I think that's that fantastic. Good. You're asking a great question that plays into where we just were, and that is you're saying there's significant difference. What are the significant differences between a car that was built... For a sports car purpose, a sports car dedicated chassis, he's thinking about my Lotus Elise or the Honda S2000, or you could throw the 86 in there or the Miata, or a car that is an upgraded performance version of a regular car, which is what we see in the Lancer Evo, Mm -hmm. or the BMW that starts as a 3 Series and becomes the M3, or we'll go here, the Impreza that becomes the WRX that becomes the STI. What are the advantages and disadvantages of either one? Okay, first off, the advantage of building up a simple car into a world beater is the fact that a manufacturer is more likely to do it. Mm. They, yeah. they, they have, look, look, when the last Lancer came out, the, what became the Evo 10, if you look at a base Lancer, they actually looked far more aggressive than any base Lancer had ever looked. And they didn't look that much different than the ultimate Evo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They looked kind of aggressive in the worst base form. But a manufacturer can take that as they do with the STIs and all and the M3s and everything else, they're going to get so many volume sales out of that chassis and that ECU and all of the parts that make up a lot of that car that they can go crazy. This is why the STI Civic, pardon me, the SI Civic exists, and so does the Type R, mm-hmm. because there's things in there that are just Civic. Yeah. So they can offset. So they're much more likely as a manufacturer, and BMW has done this more than anyone. If, we, if We've unpacked this before in some of our reviews. BMW doesn't really build sports cars. They right. build very capable sedans that come in multiple trims. They mash them into sports cars. Yes. I'm going to force you into being a sports car. So this is the upside, is that manufacturers are more likely to do this, and some of those chassis are amazingly good. The thing about a dedicated chassis, though, is that this is the stuff that feels lighter and more focused, and specifically I want to say lighter, than you're ever going to get on a mass-produced car that was turned into a supercar. Mm -hmm. If you notice the cars you brought up, 
the two that you specifically said, the Lotus Elise and the Honda S2000, are little. And the Miata I'll put in there and the 86 I'll put in there. All of these cars are small. They're too small to do anything else. Right. And that brings their weight down. And I'm telling you, I know I'm the guy that screams about tires and weight, but I'm telling you, if you drive something under 3,000 pounds, it is a different kind of car experience. It is revelatory. And so when you have those dedicated chassis, they can be lighter and more focused. And so the interesting thing there is you can buy the base one of that, and it's still great. Yeah. That's great. Third pedal Nirvana, Max, says these posts meet us make him realize that he, as a college-educated millennial engineer, is on the low end of the economic spectrum of EDD listeners. I will say not true. That's kind of what I was thinking. Not true. I disagree because we have people from all over. And Mm -hmm. I, I appreciate your comment, Max. But that is, from this meetup, we have a pilot listening. We have an ER doc. Shout out to Wally, whose uh, debate we did not too long ago. Mm -hmm. Wally, thank you for coming. We have uh, computer programmers. We have people who work at Starbucks. We have artists and musicians and designers and engineers. Somebody working on the assembly line at McLaren or Aston Martin. We have Mm -hmm. real estate agents. We have people from across the economic spectrum. It really doesn't matter. Hopefully, you you kind of the insight there is. The more you spend doesn't make it better. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes. In this case, maybe. we were connected up to the Lotus group, so we had a lot of Lotus owners, which kind of just tweaked the lineup of cars a little bit, I would say. But we had a lot of cars of all financial ranges there, yeah, honestly. We did. I mean, we did have a lot of things that people were driving Miatas. There was a guy in a, a, a Spec B Legacy that mm-hmm. he's had forever. That, yes. car, that car is really cool and not worth much. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's, you know, so we had a good range of people. We had, we had three guys that were in a, bo- a boss 302. Yes. Three of them riding together. We had, we had so many, we had a surprising variance of cars. Also, here's the other thing that splits this, Max, is there were a few people that came in that rented really cool cars. There is that. That yes. they don't own. Yes. And so you see that in the parking lot, and you just go, my gosh, there's a track-prepped Cayman R. That one was rented. Okay? <laughs> just right. right. That was rented. Right. Exactly. Let's see here. Peter Rinslow says, with an automatic transmission, is it better to downshift manually using the paddles or the Tiptronic shifter when slowing down, or just use the brakes and let the transmission do its thing and think? Does the manual downshifting put unnecessary wear on the transmission, or is this an effective technique to save brake pad life? This question is for everyday driving in good conditions, not trying to control downhill speed or stopping in rain and snow. I suppose if you're really hard on it over time, sure, it accelerates the wear. But to be honest, the automatic transmission is thinking that way already, and and modern automatics Mm -hmm, are mm -hmm. downshifting even better for us you know it's not just pushing in the clutch and coasting out of fifth and you just coast to the light yeah it's not really doing that they're they're thinking and they're programmed better than ever before so Mm -hmm. they're already kind of doing that you're just prompting it a little bit sooner i i I say it doesn't really harm it at all yeah i also feel like when i'm driving an automatic with paddles i get no joy out of downshifting it unless i'm driving hard Mm-hmm. On a back road. If I'm driving and commuting, I get some enjoyment out of going up through the gears because I'm telling it when I'd like it to give me more. When I'm coming to a stop, it's a stoplight. I just hit the brakes like a normal automatic, and most of those transmissions are smart enough that by the time I get stopped, I look down, it's jumped back down to one, which mm-hmm. is why I need it anyway. Mm-hmm. T. No asked me a film question that I talked about with my son in the last year. Why do wheels sometimes appear to be spinning backwards on a moving vehicle when it's shot on video? This is great. You can do this with your eyes. You can trick your eyes into doing this. If you're watching cars on a freeway, please don't be driving and doing this. Blink. Blink rapidly and see which wheels start to look like they're either stopped or spinning. What we're talking about here is frame rate. Frame rate is the thing where how many pictures per second is your camera getting, is your video camera getting. It comes back to the film days when it literally was moving frames of film through the camera at a set speed. Mm -hmm. What happens is, imagine you've got a five-spoke wheel. Imagine those spokes are numbered one through five. Imagine that spoke one is straight up and down when the camera blinks. Okay. There is a set speed. and Look, I'm not going to claim to know the math, but there is a set speed, and you can go faster or slower. You can see it happen. There is a set speed at which while the camera blinks, that number one has moved 90% of the way around, but not all the way around to where it was before the camera blinked. So now when the camera opens its eyes, one is further back, 
That's weird. <laughs> That's great. So what happens is it's the camera blinking versus the wheel's spinning speed. And I guarantee you, if you were five miles an hour faster or slower, the wheel would no longer appear to do that. It's just a weird convergence of frame rate versus wheel speed. And if when you get it perfect, and we've done this on camera a few times, the wheel looks like it is actually still because yeah. number one is straight up and down. And when the camera blinks, number one is straight up and down again. And the wheel's not moving. Right. The car's moving, but the wheels are frozen. It's the weirdest thing ever. So you can see reverse. You can see slight forward. It's just a matter of frame rates and, and car speed. Avi Ram asks, what's the best way to clean the inside of your windshield? He hasn't found a good way yet. Detailer's trick is to wipe laterally one direction, inside or out. You pick the direction. Mm-hmm. So you're wiping left and right on one side of the glass mm-hmm. and longitudinally up and down the other direction mm-hmm. on the, say, the inside of the glass or whatever. You pick it. And that way, you know, when you see a streak, you know which direction is going. Yeah. Like, oh, that's on the inside. I know where that is. And, of course, use Grios products to do it. Jason Woods also asks about Lamborghini. The Quantum Group won't take no for an answer in their quest to buy Lamborghini from Volkswagen. Mm. What price will it take, and why are they so determined to acquire the brand? Well, to be honest, who's heard of Piesh Motors? Anyone out there? Piesh.com. It's the son of Ferdinand, I believe it's the son, Tony Piesh. He's a founder, along with Rhea Stark, who's the founder and creative director. They're starting a boutique electric car company. Mm. And it's fun, beautiful sports cars that are electric. Okay. They've got quite a deep field of you know talent there, and they've got money. They've got backing there. But the thing they don't have is IP. A brand. They don't have intellectual property. You're right. They don't have tech. They don't have the know-how of, from the people who actually build cars. Mm. Now, they've got the collective know-how through the people that they've hired, and it's a it's a brain trust. Believe me, you go to their website, ph.com and these people are fantastic at what they do, but they don't have an assembly line. Mm. They don't have the facility to my, well, they're actually building a facility from what I can read, but they don't have the IP. They don't have something. There as a foundation to build off of ask Elon. It's hard to start a car company from scratch and make it fly. Ask all the other ones that have failed throughout history. Mm -hmm. So, I think they just really want, I, I think they, that's like the, the weak link that can be broken off from the herd, you know, like the, the weak animal at the back that can <laughs> be chewed off the back. That's funny. I like it. That's a good brand. Yeah. Volkswagen isn't going to sell Volkswagen or Audi. Mm-hmm. They're not going to let Porsche go or any of the other yeah. brands. Yeah. Yeah. But Lamborghini, it's been sold throughout the decades. Bit so of an outlier. Yeah. Maybe they'll let that one go and we can do like something it. with it. And they've got this premium brand with a recognized name in the automotive industry. Piesh is recognized, but not as a car. No, true. Lamborghini. True, true. Well, I know what that is. Yeah. It's a car. Yeah, that's good. That's very good. Felipe Rodriguez says that since I have owned both the GT86, FRS, 86 chassis, BRZ, whatever you want to call it, and a Z4, he says, hang on a second. Both are front engine, rear wheel drive, similar in weight, similar in power. How different or similar are these two cars? Great question, because you're right. They tick a lot of very similar boxes. The uh, the 86 is far more usable, that 2 plus 2 structure and a very good size trunk. You'll be amazed at the amount of space in it. The 86 also has, in spite of being electric steering feel, much better steering feel than the Z4, which has essentially none. Mm-hmm. The 86 also has a better gearbox. It has a superb gearbox. One of the better ones being sold right now and very, very good seats. Meanwhile, the Z4 has a far superior engine to most roadsters and small sports cars that have been sold. The straight six in my Z4, that is the crown jewel. That engine is wonderful. It really is. I can't overstate how great that engine is in that car. So that's the phenomenal part of it. Also, you sit way back in the Z4. Like you feel like you're sitting over the rear axle, which is a very different feel visually Mm -hmm. and even in rotation than you get in the 86. The 86, while you're sitting near the back, comparatively, you're sitting in the middle. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the the Z4, you're, you're way, way back. And then, of course, the Z4 is convertible. And for some people, if you're a person like, I'm shopping for convertibles, the 86 is irrelevant. Let's end on a track daily crush. McLaren F1, Porsche 911 GT1, and Mercedes CLK oh, GTR. Man. Petrolhead2003 oh, asks us, well, of course, we have not driven any of these cars. <laughs> We're just is, difficult. completely yes. speculating based on everything we know about them. Mm-hmm. And I think all I can think of is Mark Webber and that CLK GTR doing the backflip at Le Mans from oh. years. Dude, it's chilling. Huh. 
But Porsche 911 GT1, that's a special car. Yeah. They're, I mean, these are all built for the track. I hmm, I might change my mind, but I'm going from 911 GT1 to to uh, to track. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to putter about town in my McLaren F1. What's crazy is that's the most usable of those three <laughs> it cars. Plus, is. it's got three seats. Yes. You've got a place to put people. I think, I think that's the right answer, but exactly. it's still an absurd answer because we haven't driven them, and it's a tough question. Guys, we thank you tremendously for all of you that went to the Texas meetup. We really yeah. appreciate it. Watch EverydayDriver.com for the upcoming Utah meetup in yep. 2021 yep. in September. We're starting to stand that up thanks to Mandy Combs. She is helping us with that. So details are forthcoming, but they're coming very soon, so you can mm-hmm. start to plan, and, and uh, it's going to be a little bit more extensive. We're excited to announce that one. And also write to us your Topic Tuesdays, your car conclusions, and most of all your car debates, TV at gmail.com or on the website. And you can find the Test Drive channel and the main YouTube channel where we're dropping older, former TV episodes mm-hmm. on the yep. main YouTube channel. That has continued to come out. What's next from here is the... This uh, week is actually daily fun. It is the yes, Veloster right. Inn versus the 86 on one of our favorite roads ever. And it's a fascinating discussion where you and I really kind of disagree and then agree and then disagree again and then agree again about the 86 versus the Veloci in front, brilliant front wheel drive versus brilliant rear wheel drive. Yeah. This is a fascinating discussion we get into and that'll be this Thursday. Very cool. Thank you guys so much. We're looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone. <laughs>